Welcome to the All Things Data podcast. This is Jansen. And you got Victor here. Today, we're going to be talking about HR and actually how data has changed HR. Yeah, it's uh, quite different than your grandparents' HR, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it, I think HR is a big, a big thing these days where, you know, a lot of things are being measured differently than they used to be, right? Um, I think the big I mean, just the fact that things are being measured even, that's a big jump from like the very far past or not the past where so much of this was gut feel and like, how does your manager or how does your HR person feel about you and what kind of soft metrics have they created in their head about you? and the recency bias behind that. So I'm glad that, yeah, we're getting away from that and more into a measured world for sure. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, I mean, we've all been part of this where annual reviews are happening (laughs) and, you know, how do you talk about something 11 months ago? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's generally why you end up with uh, a ton of people Uh, or a ton of organizations who um, try to put in these frameworks, but then you get busy managers and busy uh, HR folks or people ops or whatever they are, who basically only look at like the last month, right? And they're like, I don't quite remember all the projects and we're not really a 360 feedback kind of place. So I'm going to base it on the most recent work that you've done, which could be good or bad, right? Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that you know, the the amount of data collection these days is, I mean, it's not super creepy, you know, you know it's not like your workplace is spying on you, but, you know, they can, they can measure things faster. So, like, impact of the work you do on the bottom line, right? Like, you can pull a report very quickly or query that kind of data, you know, a lot, a lot faster than when it was kind of siloed off somewhere else. So I think, you know, the integration of data is, is really important. And then, well, I think it's also like feedback where, I mean, it depends on the type of job you have, but you know, places where I've worked, where it was project driven, it's like every time you finish a project or you hit a milestone in a project, there's a review like immediately. So you're getting monthly or weekly reviews and then those all oh, for sure. kind of roll up. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, if you're if you have the kind of organization or the kind of bosses who do the one-on-ones more often do speak to you quite often and and hopefully check in you know every quarter or something you're on a good path like you kind of want that stuff written down documented things that your your goals and your learning objectives that you're actually working on i mean it's actually quite foolhardy for a company not to do these things because in tracking these things, you make them important. In measuring them, you make them important. And thus, people actually pay attention. You know, if you're just saying, I want everybody to grow, but you do nothing to enable it and nothing to help them achieve those things, then everything will just be status quo. That's right. Well, and I think it's just being more high touch with your employees, right? I mean, I'm sure we all remember times where, or maybe not, I mean, I've had places where I've had, you know, my quote, quote, annual review that didn't happen for 18 months. Oh, really? It just got (laughs) rolled into the 24th month, right? And people just got busy. And then you look at all the managers. I mean, I've been in these positions where it's like annual review time. And you're like, I need to spend three weeks preparing to get that annual review. And you just, you basically lost a manager for a month. 
Yeah, yeah, that happens. I've seen that at a bunch of places where I've been the executive and my managers weren't getting ready throughout the year. Then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year and like, yep, or to the end of whatever that fiscal period is and their productivity drops. And I'm just like, no, this can't happen next year. So yeah, you you really look to fix that. And I think like one of the really good models in all this that um, that people have at times seen and possibly even used uh, and it's the company that a lot of people look up to anyways, is Google. Uh, I think back in like, that's right. Uh, mid 2010. So like 2014, 15, 16, something like that, uh, their director, or maybe it was their VP of like people operations, which is their version of HR, uh, put out a, a book giving insights into the way that Google measures and transforms their individual groups and how they Right. Basically created an HR that is making recommender models all the time, except that the recommenders are not, you should buy this product. It's you should try being like this department. You should try these things in action. You should try the specific way these people work. Uh, we found that it works really well. And a lot of times it's just soft things. It's not like hire the absolute best person in the world and put them in a corner and let them go it's often like team dynamics. It's have you met with people? Have you had a coffee with people in the last week? Like it's that level right. of interaction with your staff that generally matters. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Google was one of those people that kind of revolutionized the, the whole HR game, right? I mean, they looked at HR completely differently. They were the ones who kind of put OKRs like front and center. Yeah. And, uh, really focused on like measurement of people and output. I mean, I'm assuming they were doing things on like how to assemble new teams and how to build, like when you have a, a t- thousands of developers, how do you deploy them to, you know, make new products? How do you, you know, fit people together so they get the maximum output, things like Absolutely. that. And I think there's probably like a lot of secret sauce there, I'm assuming. Yeah, like, I mean, anybody who writes a book isn't really giving everything away. So he gave enough away uh, that you would have a topical understanding of the, of the you know, people ops and how they work. But yeah, he doesn't, like, I don't remember in that book specifically that they went into the way that they wade through. I think Google gets like one and a half or two and a half million resumes a year. Some, some ridiculous number, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're obviously not reading those resumes and there's ways to put people through. Uh, they also probably have like one of the best ATSs on the planet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So ATS is an applicant tracking system. So yeah, they probably are not looking at bag of words or keyword searches and all that stuff that, that probably doesn't mean anything. And they, you may have heard of like the Google question during interview, but they even don't use that anymore. So they're obviously going down the line of, measurement differently than a lot of companies because they're measurement focused and they're very much data focused. So it's very likely that they, along with all of the neuroscience and all of the economics and every discipline that ends up working at Google, they've probably found a way to craft a Myers-Briggs-like, but Google's Brig or whatever (laughs) version. A version, I know that Myers is not the company, it's a person, but still. version of a uh, psychographic assessment. That's what I was looking for. Uh, that allows yeah. them to really understand the candidate even before they ever speak to them. 
So I think they probably have developed these tools or I would hope they have um, because they generally hire well. And when you get somebody that came from uh, a Google software engineering uh, department, business unit or whatever, they're usually pretty solid people. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they have also the internal training pedigree too. So, you know, they hire well and train well. So, I mean, you usually get- And they retrain and they like, they put the right expectations in front of people. So they, they very right. deliberately look at your role is going to be this in the next 30, 60, 90, you're going to be responsible and accountable for these five things or whatever, deliver on them. And then that's right. they also lay out what your career path is going to be like. So if you want to go from a, a software edge one to a software edge eight, I don't even know if those are the actual roles, but, uh, you'll know exactly what kind of projects you have to be part of and the kind of things you have to deliver on right. and the impact that you need uh, in order to actually make it through those career paths. Yeah. And I mean, data, I mean, you know, kind of moving from Google into other places. I mean, a lot of systems now like HRIS is such a big, um, big topic these days. Right. So those uh, HR data type of systems or information systems are really, you know, I guess making a lot of money and getting they picked are. up a lot, right? Yeah, I found that a lot of them end up just gamifying things that you already do. I don't know if those are the right systems and I don't know if that's the right thing to be doing or measuring or, or trying to incentivize people with like gamification, but if it works, it works, right? So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't quite know, yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a lot of people like testing things out, but I mean, you know, data, data has really changed a lot of things. You know, a, a big thing uh, I was reading about the other day was um, assisting HR people to represent their company. And that means like basically putting out MPS surveys of, mm -hmm. you know, employees and saying like, you know, eight out of 10 people at our company would recommend working at this place. Uh, so like glass door, but internal. Almost. Yeah. And so that's how you, apparently this is how people are, you know, things that they're doing to attract new, um, new employees. So it's interesting yeah. because I mean, there's always going to be a fight for talent and you know, how people are tracking that. And it's interesting because it's social proof, right? Um, yeah. so it, it's, it's interesting to see like the more surveys and internal measurement they're putting out, it's um, it's interesting to see how they're trying to capture that and then like reallocate that data to even just recruiting and saying like, hey, we're a good place to work. I mean, all those top, you know, 100 workplaces in Canada mm -hmm. to work for or top global work companies, things like that. Like, I'm sure that you know their companies are trying to double, triple, quadruple down on what's actually good to uh, work at those places, right? Speaking of like the whole glass door movement and, and reviews and feedback and whatnot, I mean, we, we should very well be accustomed to a feedback culture. We, we do this of just about every service in the gig economy now. So like we're constantly leaving rating and, and ratings and uh, I guess That's right. testimonials on people all over the place. So it's odd that this hasn't really proliferated in the workplace. And you would think that some smart HRIS company would figure out how to do that. I don't know if you know. Yeah, there, well, there you are know, companies. We about it, man. There yeah, are companies ahead. out there that um, just play in fast feedback, right? Where it's like daily, weekly, 
feedback type of loops. So right. it could be email, it could be Slack, it could be something that yeah, I've seen some Slack stuff. Yeah, I don't know how effective it is, but I've seen some Slack stuff actually pop up that some people seem to like, which was kind of cool. Right, and it might just be like one or two lines, and that's that's all you need. Instead of writing, you know, like fifty lines in two months, you just write a line a day, and then that might help, right? So. I think, you know, data capture is way more prevalent now and yeah. you're able to kind of get a pulse and that's how, um, you know, HR is really kind of staying in tune these days. So it's not just that quarterly or annual review, like we can check yeah. in weekly if we need to, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of this should and does often fall on the leads managers and whoever, whoever it is, that's like the direct people manager above you kind of thing. It falls right. on them and not just HR. So That's right. there's just a bunch of training that all of these people need to, all of the people who run, you know, departments need to have and need to develop empathy. And I don't know that everybody, like when they're promoted into these uh, roles of managing people, have the necessary skills. So there's often a gap there as well, because I found whenever I've promoted people into those roles, uh, I have to very much like very intentionally look to train them on this is how you manage people this is how you run a successful one-on-one this okay. is what a performance feedback is like this is what performance improvement is like so yeah like people need to be shown those things you can't just assume that they know right that's right like good practitioners don't necessarily mean they're good managers yeah and school doesn't get you ready to manage people ever. like that's right uh, well, I, think, I guess it, maybe an MBA might a little <laughs> bit, but it's still not the right kind of right. management. Yeah. But I, yeah. I also think it's just like, you know, data capture being the big thing, you know, it's like once you have this data, you know, then you can start unleashing the, the beast of models on it. Right. Then you can just start looking at like satisfaction numbers, how it correlates to people's outputs and things like that. So, I mean, it, once you have the data, it's always easier. Right. So absolutely. The, I think really the, the breakthrough in HR is the ability to capture. Running the model is always the easy part, right? Because once you have it, you, you, know, you know what to do. But, yeah, um, if you have a lot of data, you can get to modeling. That's not a big problem for sure. Yeah. That's right. So I think that's really where the innovation in HR is. You know, people are saying like, oh, they can, you know, one big thing that people are talking about is like retention and satisfaction. But how do you get to retention and satisfaction? you have to be able to have the data to be able to do that. And then how do you get the data? The data is in, you know, just being able to track when people are leaving, exit interviews, you know, keeping a pulse on people, like their satisfaction scores, like throughout the, throughout the year. And then you can kind of see the ebbs and flows, right? And then those feedback, and then the feedback from that. So it's like, you were never, you were never able to capture that before. And then now you're able to, you know, do it daily or weekly. So it, it's, it's interesting how you're able to make changes faster than you used to be able to. Yeah, and I mean, the data is getting richer and richer. Like we were in a place where a lot of the data we could analyze was just like the counting metrics and whatnot, but we're getting really good at NLP. So there's now even a place for uh, looking at the kinds of feedback that people are getting. And you can then analyze whether the feedback is good feedback. So you can analyze the person who's granting or who's giving feedback as well, right? So there's feedback on the feedbacker. Exactly. So like there is a, a lot of opportunity there and a lot of opportunity to move on these things. So it just actually takes 
you know, anybody with enough data set and enough compute, uh, computing power and knowledge to kind of crunch these things. And somebody with the appetite to be an HRIS, because we have both, we have all of the other side, but I don't know that we have that appetite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I mean, like traditionally, um, you know, you don't, you're not necessarily getting like more of the statistical or like the STEM people moving into, you know, HR types of roles, but right. you know, maybe, maybe you, maybe that's what's happening now. You're getting more like HR analysts versus like pure HR, um, pure HR people. Yeah, right? Exactly. So like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think one, one other thing that I've, I've been, um, reading about and kind of seen in past jobs too, is just like benefits, you know, that that's so interesting because it's like everyone uses benefits differently, mm -hmm. you know, and then figuring out what benefits workers need or like, or use the most, and then changing, changing that, that coverage. And, uh, you know, that's a big, that's a big thing. You know, that's all that's playing in like the insurance game now in the benefits game, but like, um, you know, HR never really had the insight into being like, you know what, nobody uses Cairo or naturopath and everyone uses physio and massage or something. Yeah, I've, I've seen, and I've actually been part of uh, some of the negotiations at times, um, at times where yeah, same the, here. the talk actually went through uh, benefits themselves. And it's just like, there is a cost to or a value to the remuneration of benefits. And yeah, people do pay attention to that for sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think a lot of people are moving to like health spending accounts now, like the whole flex dollars, like it does cost a company more, but you just don't have to um, think about it. So I don't know if it's a cop out or if it's a better way to do it and keeping it flexible, but you know, making all those claims and stuff, everyone hates doing that stuff. So it's like, even the people doing it probably hate doing it. So I had no, no idea how do you make it the easy? health spending account thing would cost more. I thought that I, I like I've never even really given it real thought, but I thought that the reason companies go to that is that it actually costs less, not more. Because you're just saying I'm giving you two thousand dollars as a max. Yeah. But it usually um it usually costs more because the thing is is that if you're saying like two thousand dollars a year in benefits, people are more likely to spend that two thousand dollars on like, oh, they're like, Oh, I get two thousand dollars in massages, let's go. Oh, so I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus it like being kind of sectioned out so you don't actually pay the two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah and so then it's, beyond it's beyond those benefits, you also have the other benefits like other remuneration. So you you may have bonuses, you may have uh, stock options, equity, and all that stuff, right? That's so right. there's also that to play in when you're at the recruiting side of HR, anyways. That's right, and like I think you know another thing that really benefits from data capture too is like comp just compensation models in general, right? Like how much is this person actually worth? Yeah. And you know, that sounds kind of like a really, <laughs> <laughs> like a really not nice way to say it or like just uh, turning people into numbers, but you know, what's your, con your contribution, but it's also playing into the factor of like retention, competitive scale, understanding what's out there. Right. So I think, you know, looking at people within the company, looking at what they're getting paid and looking at what other people are getting paid. It's almost like picking a sports team too, right? And then yeah. how do you get- I mean, you are competing them? against the other organizations that are out there. And the thing is, this isn't just sports. It's not like I'm saying you're a hockey player, so you're only going to play for one of our hockey teams or basically my competition. That's you right. might play hockey, you might play basketball, you might play baseball, right? Because every company is open to you as long as 
they need a version of you. So it's not that you're just a hockey player. You're just an athlete at that point and you can have any of the jobs. And the thing is I have to compete for you in like, I'm actually at a disadvantage when I'm hiring because I have to compete for the, the talent that I want. Whereas you're probably at an advantage if you are the talented individual. If the not so That's talented right. and entry level, you're at a bit of a disadvantage. That's different, but yeah, buyer's market, right? Yeah, and, or seller's you know, market. Yeah, and it's very likely to be that way in the coming future as well. Is that uh, you're going to have like a bit of a glut of senior talent around, and as everybody looks to jump on the hiring front after a pandemic or a reopening or whatever, uh, we're going to see like very likely that the top end of the market is going to get to negotiate a lot. And then the bottom end is going to have a little bit more trouble, right? Because they'll get down. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, just understanding like those mixes too of like stock bonus holidays, even, you know, benefit packages. Like I've negotiated benefit packages when I was, you know, like if people aren't budging on dollars, I was like, okay, give me more holiday or give me, like start my benefits immediately and I want a higher benefit package than whatever. So like you have points of negotiation, but that gives you um, also an understanding of like your levers that you can negotiate as HR. Yeah. And very often one of the levers that you have access to as a uh, candidate about to be hired is the uh, uh, signing bonus. I was like, sorry, signing bonus. Uh, that's generally, so if you think about it from a company's perspective, that's, you know, a one-time hit. It's just capital expenditure, uh, which is matched as an operational expenditure. I'm not thinking of, I'm going to have to pay you this. And then any variable pay, I'm going to have to have a multiplier on top of this to pay you. That's right. It's just, I'm willing to give you a hundred thousand right now. And your salary is something else. You're not going to, we're not going to budge on your salary, but I'm definitely willing to move a little bit on that hundred, maybe I'll move it to 120 or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, whereas benefits packages themselves may be set in stone. Maybe we have a benefits provider and this is what you get. Uh, That's right. So not every company and of course, different countries also different benefits packages, right? It is quite important in Canada to have extended benefits, but if you went to a job that didn't have any benefits, you're not in a dire situation. That's right. It's not like the kind US, of different right? with our yeah. It's different with our neighbors of the south for sure. Yeah, the cost is like I think ten times more or five times more in the U.S. than it is in Canada. I think it's like I think it, um, I remember looking at it with an old company I was with. To for each employee, it was seventy-five or a hundred bucks, and then a hundred and fifty bucks if you're an executive, so you got more. Yeah. And then the executives in the south were it was fifteen hundred bucks. So it's like yeah. 10x. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that the last place I was at, uh, I mean, I know what everything was worth, but at the engineer, like the line worker engineer kind of level, it was, I think, a six to one cost difference. Uh, oh, man, so that's yeah, crazy. It was pretty absurd. And of course, six to one, and you're paying Canadian dollars up here. Yeah, the number so is <laughs> six to that's one. Six to one, one. Yeah, that six to one really ends up being almost 10 to one, right? Six to one times 40%. <laughs> Yeah, so it's nearly 10. You're probably like, you know, at 8.5 or 9 or something. Oh, that's crazy. But yeah, and I think, you know, like comp comp is definitely something. And like that was, that's actually not too hard to measure. But I think in in the whole retention game, you know, 
understanding why people leave like before it was just exit interviews but now you can look at like again like back to the pulse back to the you know shorter intervals of collecting data it it makes it a lot easier to identify people also that are potentially on the way out or less engaged right so yeah i've even you know i don't know if you've seen them at uh, grocery stores like you go out and there's the little uh yeah, three like smile thing. Stoly thing with three smiles yeah yeah yeah, I've yeah. done that at a, at a previous place as well. Like basically as people walked in, I had a version of that. It was like a red, green, yellow. It wasn't three smiles. And it was just like, how are you feeling today? Red, green, yellow. Like it's super simple. And just about everybody like engagement with that thing, which was like an almost nothing tool was like super high. Like, I don't know if it was in the 80% or whatever, but a lot of people every day, oh, that's hit, interesting. whatever. And then when they left, uh, you know, so the smokers would leave to go have cigarettes, so they would hit it then. So I had a few signals during the day, which were kind of weird, uh, but I would get them at night again. So I could then look for patterns and correlations as to every Monday when we're doing sprint planning, everybody seems upset at lunch. So why does, <laughs> why does that happen? That's not actually true. That's not at all what happened, but like, you know, I could get little messages yeah. like that, you know? And yeah, and that's, that's smart. Quickly. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so like the are, whole. Those are things that smart managers end up doing for their staff, right? That's right. Well, and I think it's just like that whole time to insight thing, right? Like, yeah, you can find this out, but if you find it out three months later, is that really useful? Yeah, exactly. Like, if you had an all hands and it's with the entire company and you don't know what your engineering or AI departments are doing or how happy they are, and then it surfaces, then you're about to be fired. So, you should be on top of all of these things at all times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, um, one other one other thing I was always thinking of, um, you know, when I was working at my old company that we collected some really inf interesting information was um, internal team building. So uh, because our organization worked a lot on, pro it was like very project driven or that was kind of the, the mindset. If you wanted to build a team, you basically had, you know, internal resumes and internal like scorecards of people. And that way it's like, they almost like money, they try to like money ball teams. They're like, okay, we need an HR person. We need like three analysts, a data engineer, and like, you know, two finance guys. How do yeah. we, like, what's that optimal mix of people, personalities, and, you know, experience that we can like put together? And they weighted a system that, you know, they'd be like, okay, out of the available people, this is what the team should look like. I mean, well, that's good based on skill sets, but I think the level slightly above that would be like somehow measuring how they interact. So having almost a social that's right. kind of view of them and be like, well, Victor works really well with Jansen, but doesn't right. work well with Frankie. So that's right. Even though Frankie's available, we might want to wait for Jansen, right? Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that they also, I mean, it was okay. It didn't really... Sometimes I just felt like it was really random, <laughs> but maybe, maybe it was also like the pool of people were low at that period, but okay. you know, you never were really like, Oh, Jansen's rolling off a job in like two weeks. Let's pull him in in two weeks. It was just yeah. who's available now. So I think it was like the call it the level two type yeah. of, uh, type of organizer, you know, team picking. I feel like as you're collecting, there's way more data that you can be pulling in and like the model should be getting better over time. Uh, at times, I've seen it even where uh, companies are picking, you know, how to staff different projects and how to do different things. Uh, and it's as random as like coming out of a hat. So really, anything is better than that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, 
I've always actually wondered because I've never been, you know, at, I, well, actually that's not true. I've been at PwC in the past, but I was like 18. So that doesn't really count. I wasn't part of like a, a big team that was on the road, but like the road teams, the management consultant teams, the BCGs, McKinsey's, uh, Baines of the world. I wonder how they're measuring outside of just like, you know, the soft measures between things and the resume skill set stuff. Like, do they have, well, these three people work really well in, I don't know, like in mining and this person is like superb at this. So like they really roster up and know really deeply or right. are they, are they just like unscientific about the whole thing and they just, you know, rely right. on their relationships period. <laughs> well, I think anecdotally, you know, managers and stuff, they kind of know, but you know, when you're yeah. looking at like a broader candidate pool, it's like, you know, all the people you work with and you know how well they work together, but when you unleash it into other departments or when you're looking for bigger resources, you know, that that's maybe where it falls in. But, yeah, for sure. You know, I think they're probably, there's probably some models out there that are pulling in data and just being like, what does an optimal team look like? And what are like the skill sets and the, the mixes of those skills? And then maybe like, what are the factors that actually drive the, um, you know, the outcome of a project based on people? Okay. And how do you get that data passively? So you're not asking people to fill in surveys and whatnot. People. That's right. Yeah. Whether so I mean, they're up for it or not, they don't like it. Right. So. Yeah. And I think it also depends on the type of organization. Like obviously it's way easier if you're doing it on projects because you always have like <clears throat> the end of a project and then there's always yeah. evaluation. But if you're continuously building things, it, it, it changes it. Right. Like if you work at yeah. a bank, you're not necessarily on projects all the time or if you're. But you should in, be in sprints and you should be doing right. retros and debriefs and stuff like that. So there, there is an opportunity to do it. It's just like capturing all of that generated data, right? Correct. And like changing the organizational like muscle memory to get into those kind of, uh, those kind of evaluation cycles too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. That's pretty, that was a, that was a pretty good one. I thought this was going to be a lot shorter, but, uh, seems so like we, we, we had a lot of comments. A lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming out guys and listening. Um, you know, and we'll get you back next week on all things data. Yeah. Talk to you soon.